Good morning, church family and ministry friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to our online, internet, around-the-world church service. I'm so happy that you're here today, and I believe that God's Word is able to build you up to do what He has called you to do and to become the person that He has called you to become, which is the child of God in the mature image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. Today we are in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to receive the tithes and offerings, but first, let's look at this one verse, verse 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly. Now, we use our faith initially to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That is the initial usage of our faith, the salvation experience. We're saved by grace through faith. Then, after salvation, as we mature in our knowledge of God, and as we study His Word and His ways, we begin to see that there are promises in Scripture of various things that are available to us, and they are all received or brought into our lives, how? Through faith. And it is impossible to please God without faith. So after having been saved, then some time may go by, and hopefully it's not very long, that you discover God's will for His people to be baptized, or we would say immersed in the Holy Spirit, and thus you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit by faith, and now you're speaking in tongues, and then you find out about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and you think that's wonderful, and it is. And along with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there can come the activation of the spiritual gifts. And now that begins to operate in your life by faith as you take hold of those scriptures and agree with that. And then, of course, you see other scriptures that give application to God's plan for your body, which is to walk in health and to be healed from sickness and disease. And you see uh, scriptures like, by his stripes we were healed. And so you realize physical healing is in the atonement that Christ accomplished for us through his death, burial, and resurrection, and mighty ascension there at Calvary. Okay, praise God. Praise God. And so you take that too, by faith. Take healing for your body. My friends, we must not stop there. Because the same faith that allows us to step in and receive these wonderful blessings and promises, this same faith can also be exercised in the area of finances. And we need to use our faith to believe God for His best for our finances. In other words, don't just be a Christian who's saved, but then you become completely neutral. You need to be aggressive in your faith. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. That is not a force of a, some type of military weapon or something like that. That is a force of faith. You are exercising bold and aggressive faith to take hold of your inheritance in Christ. And when it comes to finances, you need to be aggressive with your faith. And you need to think, okay, this is where I'm at, but I'm not destined to stay in this place for the rest of my life. Uh, perhaps you were born poor. Perhaps you were born in a family uh, where you were never taught anything about money. And you just grew up and you kind of had to figure it out on your own. And the world threw, threw you a bunch of loops. And maybe your last name is not 
Rothschild or something like that, uh, where you were born into wealth or whatever the case might have been. And so you realize, oh, so this is where I'm at. Okay. So my friends, this is not like the old uh, nation of India caste system. In other words, if you're born into this uh, uh, type of a family, this is what you're going to do for the rest of your life, and you can never move out of that. And if you're born over here in this area, oh, that's the, poverty, the impoverished group, and that means you're, you're going to be in that for the rest of your life. No, no. Hallelujah. In Christ, these, uh, we have freedom and liberty, and in Christ, you realize this, is, this may be where I'm at, but my financial destiny is not tied to my past or to these other external variables. My destiny is tied to Christ and his word. And thus you exercise faith and move towards God's financial best for your life. Mm. And so you may live in an apartment, but God says, use your faith, use your faith to own your own home. Praise God. You may have a home. And then the Lord says, now exercise faith. That's great that you got a home. Exercise faith to get the mortgage paid off a lot sooner than what the extended 30-year, or sometimes they have jumbo, lo uh, you know, 40-year loans now. The Lord says, now, now don't stop there. Use your faith to get it paid off a whole lot faster. Mm -mm. And on and on it goes. Uh, and you could use your faith to uh, catch bargains and to catch favor so that you have... Uh, blessings in these areas of finances when you make certain purchases and so forth. So Paul told them that their faith grows exceedingly. So let's not just compartmentalize that and say, well, yes, our faith is growing exceedingly in our, in our love for Jesus. That's, that's nice. That's, and that's, that's to be commended, but let us also grow in these other areas such as healing and so forth. And also in the area as well, because it's very important in the area of finances, let your faith grow exceedingly in the area of financial blessing, because the more you're blessed, the more you can be a blessing. Mm, 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 mm. Praise God. So use your faith on purpose for financial increase and to accomplish what normally you would not be able to do on your own because God will help you. He'll put his super upon your natural when you believe him for it and exercise your faith. Now let your faith grow exceedingly. One of the ways we do that is by not only by being a hearer of the word, but by also being a doer of the word. So we have heard about tithes and offerings, and now we're going to obey. And as we do that, we grow stronger and stronger in our faith for the increase that God has for us. So at this time, let us now honor the Lord with the tithe, which is 10% of all of our increase, and also let us sow financial seed. Praise God. If you would like to bring that in through the mail, you can send your giving through the mail to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina. The zip code is 28654. If you prefer to bring your tithes and offerings in online, you can do so anywhere in the world, anytime, day or night, any place. Praise God. Go to the ministry website, stephenbrooks.org. There on the link is a red heart and a little box that says give. And you can click on that and it will take you to the landing page where you can bring your tithe in electronically. And also you can give into the various projects that the ministry 
is focused on. Praise God. Now, let me pray for your finances. Father, I pray that you just cause the rain of heaven, the rain of your spirit, of keen ideas, of witty ideas to fall fresh upon your people, that they walk in your wisdom, they know how to make application of wisdom, and they see areas that they can increase, and that they will use their faith in your word to expand their financial territory. Thank you, Father God, for empowering them to be blessed so that they might be a blessing. Father, in Jesus' name, we agree and say amen. Woo, praise the Lord. All right, thank you for your giving. Praise the Lord. Now, let's take our Bibles today, and we're going to go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to talk today about understanding the role of divine correction when pursuing your vision. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you get the download, uh, you get insight of the vision that God has, the path that God has for your life, and you're excited, and you're happy, and you take off. And as you're moving through that process of walking out the vision, uh, we must be in a place where we are continually inquiring of the Lord concerning what the next step should be, and how God wants us to, uh, basically, what He wants us to do. Praise the Lord. And in studying this, we go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and let's pray. Father, as we go into Your Word, we ask that Your Holy Spirit would come, bringing light, illumination, a revelation of the Scriptures, so that we might see these truths and walk in them. And we give You praise. We give You praise for the times that You come in and bring the needed correction, so that we stay in our lane and stay on track. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Woo! Praise the Lord. Verse 16, all Scripture. Every bit of it from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 and everything in between. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for uh, four things. So now we're going to look very briefly at the fourfold application of scripture, of God's inspired word. It's given for doctrine. Okay, so that's, that's for teaching, so that we can understand what our role is, what our part is, what we're supposed to do. It's given for reproof. And the word reproof uh, is an expression here denoting God's disapproval of something that we could be doing or walking out in our life. So when God gives reproof, the reproof, which can be in the Word of God, that we discover when we study God's Word, or it could be through the voice of God, it could be with the dealings of God, which there's many different uh, variables of that, but nevertheless, God's reproof keeps us from taking a dangerous step. And I believe that you're going to see as we study this today, uh, the, the great extension of God's love towards us, His children. So Scripture is given for doctrine, which is teaching, for reproof, so that is a, uh, an expression of God's disapproval, so that we get, get on the right track, praise God. And also for correction. What is the purpose of correction? It is to set us on the very center of the direction that God has for us to go in. I tell you, it's so easy 
to take a little bit of a turn to the left or a little bit of a turn to the right and even uh, do so with uh, perhaps what could be considered a good idea or maybe uh, what we think would be something that uh, surely God would agree with this and we start doing it, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's what God has spoken. Okay, so these scriptures, they make us wise for salvation because they bring doctrine, they bring reproof, the Word of God brings correction, and it brings instruction, and this area of instruction pertains to righteousness, praise God. So we need God's Word to keep us centered, moving forward, and staying in our lane, praise God. And there are always going to be because of our very human nature. There are always going to be certain things that we want to do that we think are so wonderful that not even the angels would ever say no, but we move into certain projects or we move into a certain direction or we are start doing a certain thing. And it doesn't mean that just because it's a good idea it's a God idea. It doesn't mean that just because it's not sinful or illegal or unlawful or bad, still, that doesn't mean that that's something that God wants you to be doing. Woo, this is very, very important. Uh, let's take a look at this just for a moment at one of the classic scriptures, Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12. Uh, two of my favorite scriptures, or, or actually chapters, Probably out of the book of Proverbs for me is Proverbs chapter 14 and Proverbs chapter 16, because those two chapters, uh, you just can't read through them fast because it seems like almost every verse in those chapters, uh, they're all good. You could teach messages off literally every verse. But today, let's look at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. And scripture says, there is a way that seems right to a man. And you can be absolutely convinced that your way is right. You maybe even can have it mapped out on paper. You maybe can have uh, endorsements from others that say, yeah, you're doing what you're doing is good. <laughs> there is a way that seems right to a man, but his end is the way of death. What would you think if you were actually moving full steam into something and, and you're doing this, but you don't know that God knows from his perspective that the whole thing is already destined for complete failure, even at the very get go. What would you think about that? Well, if you're a normal person, you would think I, I, I would like God to intervene and tell me, "Woo, praise the Lord. Mm -mm. But God doesn't always intervene. Even, uh, even when you're charging straight ahead, he has, how can we say, certain requirements that he must see in order to lead and direct. And one of those greatest requirements is easily seen in the 25th Psalm. Let's go over there just for a moment. This is Psalm 25. And let's drop down to verse 9. The humble he guides in justice and the humble he teaches his way now perhaps you've noticed what god has noticed that you cannot teach an arrogant person who thinks they know everything 
who thinks they know more than God. <laughs> well, surely, Pastor Stephen, there's none of those people like that in the church. Well, I can't speak for those that are out in the world, but from, uh, you know, from my, my occupation as a minister, I've come across quite a few Christians that, that maybe they're sweet, maybe they're nice. Yes, their ticket is stamped to heaven. They're on the way to heaven. But in certain areas, when it comes to teaching in, in, as far as going in the way of the Lord, completely unteachable. And if you were to even try, uh, uh, there would be friction instantly, in, instantly in the relationship. So you can tell you can only go so far in the relationship because when it comes to doing the right thing in this one area, they're not going to do it. Even if 10,000 angels came down and appeared before them and started singing the chorus of the song, hallelujah, they're, they're not going to do it. They are. It doesn't matter if the Holy spirit comes and talks to them in person. They're, they're not going to obey in that area area. They are going to do their thing. So what does that mean? It means that while, uh, yes, you're saved by grace, God's goodness, right? God, God's love through faith. Uh, that's nice. You're going to go to heaven. But uh, as far as you walking out the full potential of your destiny, you are now disqualified because you're unteachable. Now, now let me say this, this, uh, we're going to have a good time today, but let me say this. You do realize this is a weightier thing I'm going to say. You do realize there are Christians who die and their destiny goes to the grave with them. They never fulfilled it. Even if they knew it, even if they clearly saw it and they could pick up perhaps by praying and they, they understood and their, their knowledge of the word, they knew exactly what God had for them, but they never crossed the finish line concerning the fulfillment of that. And a lot of that has to do with an inability to be taught by the Lord. And the reason that often that exchange doesn't take place is because he only guides the humble. Mm. He only teaches the humble his way. So you have to humble yourself and say, Lord, I thank you for my brain. I thank you for my education. I thank you for my counsel of advisors and all this and that. But Lord, there is no brain higher than you. And Lord, even all of our intellect combined together cannot, our, our organic physical brains cannot get into the spirit. And Lord, we need your spiritual wisdom. We need to know basically what you say, what you think, because we could think, oh, let's do this. And surely it's a good thing. And Lord, you could say no. And see, that, that's what we're dealing with. We have to walk in accordance with the Lord's ways. Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own. Well, why can't he? He looks strong enough to me. Looks like a capable leader. Looks like he has the anointing. My friends, the anointing is no substitution for being led by God. I'm anointed. How many anointed failures have we seen in the church? And, uh, not, not as any means of, of shame or humiliation, but as examples like, hey, they, they got off track. And they never finished what God wanted them to walk out. Mm, no, no condemnation because we're, we're in Christ and those that didn't uh, accomplish that certain thing. Thank God they made heaven sure beats going to hell. Woo. The ultimate bad decision. My goodness. Praise the Lord. But my friends don't, um, don't toy around with your destiny. You've got to get this done. 
because there are those that don't. And we have to realize that and realize, boy, I better stay on track. And that requires the guidance of the Lord. Praise God. And this will, this, this is not like a, something that maybe is, you know, only a few special people have it to them. This will require, as we see in second Timothy chapter three, verse 16, this will require divine correction at times. I didn't say a divine spanking pastor Stephen. God's really going to put it to me at me. No, I'm not talking about that. Um, I'm talking about the Lord correcting and saying, you're, you're, you're off. I didn't tell you to do that. And then him helping. Now the reproofs, sometimes the express, the expression of God's displeasure. Sure. That's not fun. Nobody wants to, uh, how can we say, get called in by God? Uh, you know, but uh, Hey, if you're driving in the wrong direction with eyes wide open and you're about to drive into a mess and God loves you, don't you think he's going to try to bring a reproof? And then if there is a, a heart to receive it, then he'll show you the correction so that you can get back where you're supposed to be. And he's so good that if you'll do that, if you'll, if you'll yield, he'll, he's so good. He'll even divinely help you make up for lost time. That's stuff that only God can do right there. He said in this word, he said that which the, the locust and canker worm and all, all these various stages of the locust have eaten up. God says, I'll restore it. That's not the issue. The issue is get back, walk back over here to me and get in the center of my will. Cause the clock's ticking. Clock's ticking. Woo. Glory to God. Mm-mm. Now let's go to our key text today. A fascinating story. I'm so glad it's in the Bible. <laughs> it's, it's a King, a good King that made a mistake and he had to walk. He had to walk it all back. And I'm so glad that his mistake is in the Bible because this is for our admonition. This is put here for you and I to learn and to glean from his life because we're going to have, we're going to have certain things at times that we'll have to make modifications on or adjust or correct. Praise God. We are in the book of second Chronicles chapter 25. Let's go directly to verse five. Praise the Lord. Moreover, Amaziah, this is good old King Amaziah. Amaziah gathered Judah together and set over them captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, according to their father's houses throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 20 years old and above and found them to be 300,000 choice men able to go to war who could handle spear and shield. Verse six, here we go. He also hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel for 100 talents of silver. Wow. Got 100,000 men on the payroll. How about that? And has given them all the money because they're, they're not going to go into this battle and do his fighting without some money. <laughs> King will do it. If that's what you want. We'll do it. We need the money up front. Okay. So he has put out all of this money and he's, he's got all of these guys involved and watch what happens in verse seven. But a man of God came to him. Whoo. Don't you know he had an assignment? Don't you know that prophet? on the way to the king was probably thinking, Lord, 
Now, thank you for showing this to me, and I'm going to go speak to the king and tell him exactly what you told me. Lord, I sure hope he does the right thing. Wow. Okay. Because some of these kings, you never knew what kind of a mood they would be in. Are they walking steady with God? Are they having some meltdowns and breakdowns? And maybe they're going to, you know, say off with his head. Okay. So anyhow, the prophet's going to do his thing. But a man of God came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel. Okay. So you have the king of their southern kingdom of Judah, King Amaziah. He's hired all of these guys from basically what we would call various areas of the, of the northern kingdom, which is, which is pretty much just gone into wholesale apostasy. But he needs somebody to fight for him. He doesn't have enough numbers down south, so he's hired all these guys up north from, uh, from the uh, divided kingdom. O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, not with any of the children of Ephraim. But if you go, be gone, be strong in battle, even so, God shall make you fall before the enemy. For God has power to help and to overthrow. In other words, look, God's not in this. You've paid all these guys. You've got 100,000 men involved in this. and You've already spent the money. And if you go, it's not going to be good. Now, he's not saying it. I would probably think that even the king himself at this stage, his life is in danger. He could die. He could die. This has happened to quite a few already. We know that we, we know the routine. Okay. And this is very, very critical. What's going on? A reproof from God King. And it doesn't matter if you're King doesn't matter if you're a, a preacher doesn't matter if you're anointed doesn't matter who you are. It, it, God's not a respecter of persons. If you are one of his children and you, and you are, you're getting off base, even if you already spent the money, God sends the reproof. What will your response be? Mm. Well, let's find out what his response is. Then Amaziah said to the man of God, probably the same thing you or I would say if we've already spent the money, right? He said, but what shall we do about the hundred talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? <laughs> As if God doesn't know about that, right? But it's a good question. He's basically said, I've already paid all these guys. A lot of money, too. Hmm. Can, can I just tell you the bottom line? The money's gone. The money, look, if you want to do the right thing, walk away from it. Oh, Pastor Stephen, you, you don't understand how much money I paid. I, all I can say is I understand this. It was done out of God's will. And just walk away from it and, you know, close it down, shut it down. And that, that's what he's facing. That's what he's facing right here with a warning. You go through with it. Go ahead. Be, be brave. Do your thing. Sharpen your sword. The prophet's probably thinking you're all going to die if you do it. Mm, mm, mm. But what shall we do about the hundred talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? And the man of God answered, the, and look, let this go into your spirit because God is good. He's speaking to some of you today that you've gotten off track. The Lord is able to give you much more than this. So Amaziah discharged the troops that had come to him from Ephraim to go back home. Mm. Boys, you're all paid up, and I know you're ready to fight 
forget it. Uh, things have changed. Keep the money. Go, 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 go buy yourself a new 4K television. Put your down payment for your new car. Uh, goodbye. Please go back. Oh, go back and worship your idols like you've already been doing anyhow. Okay, so anyhow, he's out, and he goes forward in God's plan and has success. Woo! Praise the Lord. Mm-mm-mm. There are times when the reproof of God comes. It's God's love. It's God's love. And I'm going to share some things today about reproofs in my own life. And uh, they're all through the Bible. And my friends, you have to understand when God brings the proof, he's not trying to spoil your party. He loves you. He's trying to keep you from making a a, uh, major mistake, even perhaps a fatal mistake. Something that could kill you or could kill your business or could really just rattle your life in a way that you don't want to know. And so when you receive that reproof, which is a, which is an expression of God's displeasure, you're doing something wrong. Then the word also corrects and that correction brings you back centered to where you're supposed to be. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. How many of you watching are familiar with Oral Roberts University? My oldest daughter graduated from there and, uh, got her degree, went on, got her master's, and met her, the love of her life while she was there, uh, the star tennis player. Uh, he was from Germany, and uh, they fell in love, and they got married. And uh, he was a Christian. He did love the Lord, but it was my privilege to lead him into the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And uh, of all things, they moved out here close by us because of a job relocation. And that, of course, made my wife and I very, very happy that they are just a short drive and we can go see them because now they have two beautiful grandchildren, uh, you know, that we can go over and see and have a lot of fun and uh, things like that. And so Oral Roberts University has graduated thousands and thousands of students who are carrying on the original vision of Oral Roberts uh, to be a great blessing in the earth. And although that great man of God who founded it has been gone now for quite a while, the university continues still to be vibrant and healthy and uh, functioning on all cylinders, as we would say, continuing to graduate top level students. So uh, it was a total success and is still functioning today, although he is gone. Watch this very carefully. While ORU, the university, continues to carry the banner of the, uh, of the vision that that man imparted into it, Dr. Roberts had a situation where when his uh, daughter and her husband, his son-in-law, died in a plane crash, he went out to California for the funeral. You have to understand that when you are in a time of sadness like that, that's not the time in moments like that where you make major decisions. But, and I think we can be vulnerable in times like that. So when you're in a mode like that, just hold steady, cover your very basics, and don't do any major decision-making type things when you're in moments like that, such as when a child dies young. Um, this is time uh, for you to be healed and to be made whole and to just be refreshed by the Lord. Well, it was during that time that he says, Dr. Roberts said that the Lord spoke to him to start 
what he called the city of faith, which would be a very vast medical hospital complex. And um, so he, he launches full, full bore into this after coming back from the funeral. And I am not judging him, nor am I being critical of him. I just want to state some things of uh, information that will help you to see how important it is to stay on track with only what Christ has commissioned. So he, he starts what became known as the City of Faith Hospital. Three primary buildings, if you've ever been in Tulsa, you can still see them. They're still there today. One, 60 stories, beautiful skyscraper. The other is a 30-story structure. The other is a 20-story structure. And even when I was there a few years back, um, still, it's, there's parts of, the, of these buildings that are still not occupied. So you see this gigantic parking lot, and not a lot, not, not a lot of cars there. Now, what took place is that from day one, those who were around him on the team to, you know, his directors and so forth, his advisors, they all said from day one, it was nothing but trouble. Everything went wrong. Not only that, before the first deal was ever signed to break ground and to, you know, start building this, all of his advisors said, there's something not right about this, Dr. Roberts. You know, I don't think we should move forward with this. And his simple response was, I've heard from God, we're going to do it. And I'm not saying he didn't hear from God. I'm just saying that when it is from the Lord, there are indicators of peace and a lot of other key factors that uh, favor that will go along with that, that ride with the authentic commissioning from the Lord. And none of that was, was seen in the building of these structures or, or this medical com complex. And it wasn't long at all before they were $25 million into debt. And what took place is that this became such a, a debt burden that he's now having to siphon money away from the successful university, and he's having to pour it all now over into this medical complex and try to keep it alive and keep it going. And it was just an absolute money pit. He even had to take his television ministry of preaching and teaching the gospel and begin to use that primarily now as a fund raising platform to raise money for this complex that is just a money pit and it drained all of the many ministry resources. He even had to sell his own home and uh, his son, Richard, uh, he had to sell his home also. And from the day that medical center opened, it struggled from day one. Eventually the debt became so enormous that it was auctioned and sold off. And today it has pretty much been converted to various forms of office space, like call centers and things like that. So it, you could say in some ways that uh, it's very mindful of Psalm 127, verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. And you can labor and even build it. But if God does not commission something, then it's, it's doomed from failure. It's doomed for failure from the very start. And it hurt the university because it's pulling the resources that should be going to the university. It's pulling it all over here into a money pit. He even had to step down the, 
the uh, the accreditation of the sports teams. So they were NCAA. I, I think they were actually Division One or Division Two, and they stepped it down to a really small level. They're doing everything they could to save money and cut money and reduce this, reduce that. So when you get on something that's not truly originated from the Lord, what you're going to do if 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 you're going in the direction that you're not supposed to. Not only are you on the wrong track, but the thing that you're pouring money into and time and energy into, it's all something, it's all money that was supposed to go over to the true thing. What does that mean? It means eventually you're going to run into a deficit, not only on the wrong thing, but now also on the real thing, because you've been feeding money that should have gone to the real thing over here to the wrong thing, and you could crash the whole system. And that's exactly what it almost did. Hmm. Wow. A nice man, a very wealthy businessman, at one point stepped in and rescued the university from millions and millions and millions of dollars of debt. But he said, I'll rescue the university on the conditions that we get some things in order around here that are completely out of order. Mm-mm. Wow. Wow. They poured over $150 million into that effort to do this medical thing. It was nothing it was nothing but a mess. It was extremely difficult. I've, I've read the stories of the doctors that worked there and all the stress and all the chaos and all the confusion and things not running the way they should. Everything from the uh, Tulsa uh, hospital directories from the various hospitals already saying, we already have more than enough hospital beds in Tulsa. We don't need another hospital. And, we, and just everything, everything working against them. But only one, one response from the top. God told me to do it. So, you know, and I'm not his judge. God is. But all I'm trying to say, my friends, is when you have the golden goose that, you know, when you have this prestigious world-class university that others around the world look at and think, wow, what a beautiful thing. Why would you go over here and do something that uh, is a completely different, it's just, uh, I'm not saying God couldn't do that, but it's very, very rare. For a moment, uh, consider the, the Capuchin monk. Padre Pio. Here is a man. Think about this. Here is a man that, uh, according to his Catholic theology, has to take a vow of poverty. So here's a little monk who's taken a vow of poverty, living in a monastery, sleeping in a room no bigger, no bigger than the uh, the uh, pulpit uh, platform area here, and has nothing that he even owns in life except his his clothes. You know, maybe a few pictures on the wall. And yet God told him to raise up a hospital, and he did it. He, the first thing he gave, he had a little gold coin that somebody had just given him, and he said, God has told me to raise a hospital. I want to be the first one to give an offering, and he put that into the offering. And w- would you believe that the Catholic Church, the Pope, and the, uh, the, the Cardinals made one of the rarest exceptions ever seen in the Catholic church where they said, we are going to allow you to raise the money. Of course, he never touched the money. And if people ever gave him the money because people were coming to the monastery all the time to see him for prayer, they would put money in his hand. He would immediately give it to the treasurer. And that hospital today, although Padre Pio has been gone since the late sixties, that hospital today, 50 years later, still flourishing, still a city on a shining hill, bringing relief to the suffering. Why? God told him to start one. God told or Robert start a university and it was pure gold. Okay. But he got over something else. 
and it, it just completely flopped. Padre Pio, called by the Lord, not to start a university, had no anointing to do that, but he was called to start a hospital, and it's still, today, 50 years after his departure, flourishing, beautiful. A whole city, <laughs> a whole city now has formed around the hospital. And, of course, uh, you know, the, the site of his remains, San Giovanni Rotondo, where six million people come every year to pay their respects to a true prophet of the Lord. Mm, mm, mm. Glory, glory to God. What about King Amaziah? Hey, I've already paid all these guys. You wouldn't believe how much money I paid them. What am I supposed to do about that? Let it go. Let it all go. Well, they, they put over a hundred million dollars. Yep. Let it go. Write the whole thing off. It's going to go in auction. It's going to be sold off for pennies on the dollars. doesn't matter. Let it go. You have to, my friends, you have to stay on your calling. It, look, look, if King Amaziah can make a mistake, don't you think that you can make a mistake? If some of the greatest ministers on the earth who can legitimately hear from God, yet also because of personal pulls or maybe certain desires and can drift, don't you think that you and I could also deal with such things? Mm -hmm. Praise the Lord. You must rely upon the leading of God to take you uh, th through the, pr the steps that he has for you. Don't just think, oh, this is God, God proves this. Bring it all before the Lord. Inquire of the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's continue on. I want to talk just for a moment about a great man of God, another great man of God, and, and I deeply respect Or Roberts, and I have also tremendous respect for Jerry Falwell Sr., founder of Liberty University. Think about it. He founded a university that today has, has an endowment over $1 billion. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's, that's like what they would call the big league. They, they have a larger endowment than some state institutions do. And, of course, they have a tremendous enrollment. Uh, if I'm correct, if I'm correct, I think they actually have the largest online enrollment of any university in the world. And, of course, they have a lot of students that do go to campus and, some for, and so forth. So Jerry Falwell Sr. is the founder of Liberty University. But guess what? He also found that something else that Jesus told him, get out of it. You ready for this one? Well, Pastor Stephen, what in the world could that be? That man was perfect. He was more perfect than God. No, no none of us are. <laughs> okay. Many uh, of those perhaps in an older generation, not too much older than me, that this was a little, just a little bit before my time, would know that Jerry Falwell Sr. founded a political organization called Moral Majority with the emphasis of getting Christians to come together so that when they go to the voting polls, they vote for the politician who would, you know, have the highest Christian ethics and standards. Praise the Lord. I'm going to say something in just a moment. I'm trying to think of the order. So I want to say this next. I, I saw an old video of Jerry Falwell Sr. 
this was this was old. I mean, we're going back to, I don't know, uh, 30 years back. And he, on the video, he was preaching at his church, and he was saying, you know what? I am so proud of this organization of, you know, more. He said, I am so proud of moral majority and all of you. And remember, he had 600,000 members, 600,000 contributing members that belong to moral majority. I am so proud of moral majority because I must tell you that during the recent election, when it was real close, it was those of moral majority that tipped the vote in favor of Jimmy Carter. Oh, and I heard that. And I thought, Lord, in my perspective, I think Jimmy Carter, um, I, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it, but Jimmy Carter, I'm just going to say, I would not put him amongst the greats. You, you could read between the lines. Okay. I'm not going to speak evil of any leader. Um, and it, does Jimmy Carter still teach Bible school on Sunday morning, Sunday morning, uh, Bible school? Yes, he still does. Does he believe some strange things that I believe go totally contrary to scripture? I would say yes, because I've heard what he's taught and I do not agree with some of the things he teaches, particularly along the line of morals. And so the Christians of moral majority helped tip the scales to get a person in there that in many ways just didn't know what to do. And the Ayatollah and uh, those over in Iran that with the terrorism, they just locked him down. And it was not until Reagan came in that Reagan came in and Reagan can't really quote scripture. Uh, Reagan can't stand up in the pulpit and teach Bible. But I'll tell you what, Reagan knew how to bring the hammer and he knew, knew what the call. Hey, this is we're not going to be pushed around. We're not going to have in some rogue, rebellious nation uh, take our people. No, this, this gig is up. And they knew it was up the moment he won the election. And they knew he was coming in. Whoop, release the hostages. <laughs> we don't want them anymore. Yeah, you better release them. Because <laughs> he's not putting up with that. Mm. Okay, so crisis, crisis situation, it always, watch, it always will when you have developed something or you're going into something that God has not commissioned, crisis situation comes. So a crisis came. You had some ministers that had moral failures. The nation saw that. And a lot of Christians froze their giving because they were, they were like, Whoa, wow. That that's, they were trying to, you know, get over that and deal with that. And so a lot of the regular giving that was coming in for many large ministries, especially it stopped. And so that hit, Jerry Fogel senior very severely at Liberty university. And now the money's not pouring in. And so it got real bad. They start going into debt, everything before then they'd been paying cash, cash, cash as they go with no strain, God's blessing, everything working like warm oil. Now there's a, there's a crisis. And now uh, because of the debt that the university is now accumulating, they could lose their accreditation. And who wants to go to a university where your paper, your, your diploma is not accredited? It doesn't mean anything. You can't get a job anywhere with that. So he said, well, man, we're in trouble. So he did two 40-day fasts. He, he fasted for 40 days, no food. Then he ate for 21 days. And then the Lord said, I want to talk to you now about money. And he went right back into another 40-day fast with no food. Okay, so here's the first thing the Lord told him on the first 40 day fast, because on the first 40 day fast, he's like, Lord, <laughs> we need money. <laughs> the, the university is going to crash. I need your help. You know what the Lord told him? 
the Lord said, he said, first of all, you need to get your relationship right with me. You're doing all kinds of stuff. Number one, you ready for this? Number one, shut down moral majority. Shut it down. Get out of politics. Are you hearing this? This is what the Lord told him. Get out of that. Why? The Lord never called him into that in the first place. And I'm not saying he doesn't call some, but he didn't call him. And so he's putting all that money, millions and millions and millions of dollars in the moral majority, 600,000 members. And Jesus told him, get out of it. Shut it down. Get back over on what I commissioned you to do. Liberty University, your golden nest egg, the baby that, that you birthed through divine commissioning. Put all of your focus on that. And he did. <laughs> oh, he did. <laughs> oh, he humbled himself. Oh, <laughs> Woo. 40 days. Oh, God, I humble myself. Woo. Mm. Then it came off the 40 day fast, ate for 21 days, gained all the weight back. It was then Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, spoke to him and said, Now I want to talk to you about money. So he went back into another 40 day fast. And just dialed everything into the commissioning and what God had told him to do. Shut everything down that he's drifted over into that God never commissioned. Mm. And after the 40-day fast, the second one was complete. He came off that and he knew God was going to move. And did God ever move? A man walked onto the campus, gave him a check for $50 million to get the university into the place that it needs to be, to get it re-strengthened. And, and then God sent the second greatest answer to the prayer, which was the leader, a person that could lead it from a financial perspective and uh, set it up with, uh, and so God brought, I think it was a man from uh, Georgia Tech in, uh, who used to be the president there, and just everything turned to gold again. But you know what Falwell did not do? He did not resurrect more, more majority, because God said, shut that down. Hmm. Can you imagine thinking you're doing something so good? We got that guy in the office. And that guy turns, that guy gets in the office and you're like, wow. Oh, wonder what God thinks about that. He probably thinks you did the wrong thing. Hmm. We can think sometimes we're so smart. We're so smart. You got to have more than smarts to fulfill your calling. You're going to have to be open to divine correction in order to fulfill your high calling and your destiny. And if reproof comes, look, if, if it can come to Jerry Falwell Sr., it could certainly come to you and I. If it can come to Or Roberts, it could come to you and I. If it could, it could come to a king of Judah, it could come to you and I. Thank God Amaziah said, oh, forget the money. Yeah, yeah, we put a lot of money. Boy, we paid those guys good. Forget it. Okay, Mr. Prophet, I know you're speaking from God. Yeah, just walk off and forget the whole thing. Mm. Mm. Remember? Remember, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. Do the right thing. Well, Pastor Steve, I don't want to backtrack out of this. What will people think? Who cares what people thinks? It's what God thinks. And if you have walked into something, it doesn't matter how much time, how much uh, uh, completion or whatever, and you've walked into it and you realize this is, this is not of God. This is not of God. Shut it off. Shut it down to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. Amen. Pastor Stephen, that means we've wasted millions of dollars. The Lord is able to give you much more. 
He really is. He is a good God. Hallelujah. But we must be correctable. We must have humility in our hearts. What about the prophet Kenneth Hagin? Oh, oh, well, that Pastor Stephen, he's a prophet. Now, you, you know for sure he never made a mistake. <laughs> he tells about some of the mistakes he made. Uh, let's talk about this one for a moment. Again, one of my favorite teachers all time. And I believe that prophet Kenneth Hagin will go down in church history as one of the greatest. I'm not saying he's, he's the greatest, but as one of the greatest, definitely way up there, way at the top, if not at the top of the greatest, those that would be prophet teacher combination within church history. He's the kind of teacher. You just listen to him teach all day long, you know, real kind of like laid back type teaching, not, not shouting and screaming, but just teach, teach, teach. And it's, and it's revelatory. But listen to what he said. He woke up at 530 in the morning, one morning, and the Lord spoke to him. He, Brother Hagin said he sat up in bed, and the Lord told him a recession is coming. And he told him how to escape it. And he gave him instructions of certain things he needed to do, because you can't stop it. It's coming. And if you make these adjustments, then you're not going to feel the discomfort that others are going to feel who don't know what's going on and are not informed. So the, the, the first thing the Lord told him to do is shut down every program that you have gotten involved in that I never told you to start. Oh, what is that? My friends, that's a, that's a reproof. And the Lord talked to, to brother Hagin about the counseling center that they had started. And, and Jesus told him, in this vision, I never told you to start that. Not only did I not tell you to start it, it's actually unbiblical. It's unbiblical because you're counseling people. You're counseling sheep that are from other sheepfolds. You're counseling church members that belong to other churches. Now you've got these people, uh, you know, church members of other churches coming to seek you to get counsel. They don't need to be coming here. They need to go to their own shepherd. They need to go to their own pastors. And so, so Jesus said, you're not even responsible for them to counsel them. Jesus said, shut it down. And he said, also lay off this amount of employees, trim down your payroll. The next morning, eight o'clock in the morning, staff meeting. And he said, he told the staff, this is, I had a visitation from Jesus. And in the vision, he told me, this is what I need to do. He said, uh, we are laying off these people. Those of you, I, I need to let you know that. And we're shutting this down. And he implemented it. And he streamed down and thinned down to that area where when that recession came, whoosh, he went right through it. He went right through it. But notice that the Lord had to bring correction because now Brother Hagin, he had his hands over here in this thing, counseling center, prayer counseling and all this going on, sapping all of their time, pouring money into it. And God never told him to do it. And not only that, it's actually the format that he was running in that context was actually unscriptural. And you know how big of a stickler Kenneth Hagin was for the word. So he's like, oh my goodness. So yes, he received the reproof and received the correction. Boom, right on track and sails right along, sails right along. See, God loves us. God loves us. Again, Scripture says, and the man of God answered to the king, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. Don't worry about it. Just get right. Get right. Backtrack, backstep, get right, and boom, go forward. 
Well, Pastor Steve, we, we've invested months and months into that. Who cares? Walk away from it. Shut it down. Mm -mm -mm. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Acts chapter 21. Glory to God. Are you having a good time today in the Word of God? Mm -mm. The Word of God is working in our lives. We're going to Acts chapter 21. Let's drop down to verse 4. There is a lot of uh, debate amongst theologians concerning what we're about to see. Some theologians say that Paul was doing really good in God's will, and other theologians are saying, well, it's obviously he was out of the will of God. Okay, so let's take a look at this. And I believe you'll clearly see that Paul made some mistakes. And had such a strong pull in one area, he would drift over there sometimes, and when he would, uh, there would be some pretty tough consequences. Verse 4, And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days, they told Paul through the Spirit, not through the flesh, not through good intentions, they told him through the Spirit, not to go up to Jerusalem. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to go up there anyhow. Well, Pastor Stephen, now if these people are speaking by the Spirit of God, why in the world would Paul do that? Uh, he, he just had some areas where, although he was told by the Lord, your apostolic ministry is to the Gentiles, and whenever he went to the Gentiles, had tremendous success. Oh, he, he still just wants to reach his brethren, the Jews, so much that he ends up trying to minister to them again. And every time that usually happens, guess what? A beating and a stoning and a whipping and a kicking and all kinds of difficulties. And look, the Lord had told Paul, uh, you know, at the beginning of his ministry, when he's going through all of that stuff, the Lord showed him all of the things that he would suffer for him. But Paul already has enough baked into the plan that God has for him of challenging circumstances. He certainly doesn't need to add more fuel to the fire because when you encounter things that are on the path that are part of God's plan, there's grace to overcome. There's, fa there's favor, there's provision. But if you start moving over into areas where uh, I want to add some extra on uh, the, the grace is for, for staying in your lane. Not for over here doing other kinds of stuff. And Paul, even though warned, hey, don't, 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 don't go to Jerusalem, goes anyhow when his apostleship is not to the Jews. And, and Jesus at one point gave him a divinely granted vision and said, leave here. They are not going to receive your testimony. Well, you know, maybe I could persuade them with a, you know, I, I really know them. And I, I used to be real close to all of them. And they all know me. And um, no. No, they're going to they're gonna get mad and beat you up and, uh, and hit you and kick you and do all kinds of things, try to kill you if they can. Hmm. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way. Now, verse 10, and as we stayed many days, a certain prophet, now he's in a different place, as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. See, again, this is not like 
You know, maybe somebody's uh, psycho psychological analysis of Paul. Hmm. Paul seems like, you know, your, your job commission is better over here. No, no. This is all in the spirit. This is by the, the leading of God. Now watch this. Thus says the Holy Spirit. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. In other words, if you go up there, they're going to rough you up really good. And uh, it's, you're going to really, they're going to lay it on you. And what does Paul do? Oh, he's going anyhow. <laughs> and Paul did run into some things that I believe he could have avoided. Many theologians do also by scriptures like this. Now, there were some things he's not going to be able to avoid. Uh, and that's just part of the apostolic calling. But there's some other things. Yeah, he absolutely could have avoided by not going there because they're never going to receive him in the first place. He goes anyhow, and it wouldn't turn out good. Mm. What's going on? Well, it's the Lord having to at times bring uh, correction in these areas where he's drifting, drifting. And, but anytime he gets among the Gentiles, he's saving them like hotcakes. They're coming to Christ just like fish biting the bait in a frenzy. <laughs> Woo! Praise the Lord. Go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated. Praise God. Amen. But we're not going to give Paul a hard time because uh, even as he would say, hey, look, I'm willing to die. You know, it's, I, just, I just want to give my life. They don't see it. They don't understand. So... You know what? Uh, the Lord will just work all of that out. Praise God. Hallelujah. But as much as we can, if the Holy Spirit tells me through a world-recognized prophet, uh, if you go to this city, like you're saying you're going to do on your schedule, if you go there, they're going to tie you up and beat you up. Well, I'm not going to go there. As for me, no, I'm not going there. I, I don't really want to get my teeth kicked in. Praise God. No, I can preach somewhere else. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, if you, you're like Paul and you write two-thirds of the New Testament, maybe maybe you can, you can play this a little bit and you can get beat up and, and somehow get out of it, okay? But I would recommend, let's not go to Jerusalem. I'm, I'm speaking, you know, kind of like, uh, symbolically here. I'm not literally saying don't go to Israel, don't go to Jerusalem. I'm just saying if the Lord says don't go to New York or don't go to Las Vegas or don't go, don't go to Dallas, I'm not going to go. Now, if everything's okay and everything's good, we can go anywhere we want to. We have liberty in Christ. But that is in the context of obedience to the Lord and His will. Praise God. So it's never too late to get right. Even if the boat's about to land in Jerusalem, hey, there's another boat leaving. Just, you know, if you change your mind, you can always just jump over on that one and leave. You know, land on the plane and the Lord says you weren't supposed to be here. Well, don't, don't even leave the airport. Just get on another plane. Go straight back where he came from. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. It's never too late to get right. Even if you've packed, listen, even if you've packed your bags and you plan on leaving, as soon as I get through preaching this message, it's not too late to get right. When you realize, hey, God's not in this. I've already paid those people. I've already made reservations there. Okay. Drive off into the sunset with your eyes wide open and you dr just drive right into the storm. But listen, you could be like Amaziah 
and say, well, I've gotten to know God a lot better over the last few months and over the last year. And I tell you what, I see some things I didn't see before, and I realize God's not in this. I'm going to humble myself and back out of this. <gasps> oh, Pastor Stephen, what will they say? Who cares? I want to serve the Lord, and I want to fulfill my calling, and I can't do it if I'm still over in that. See, you can get so off track, you can literally bury your destiny so that it's so covered with dirt that it's, it's going to be real, real hard to get this done within the time frame of your life. May you receive grace to be like Amaziah and just cold turkey, shut anything off that you've gotten into that God's not in. Mm -mm. Woo, praise the Lord. Well, many of you have heard my testimony of how uh, one morning I woke up at six o'clock in the morning and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, leave immediately and go to California. I was living in Texas. I was single and I had a great job, but at six o'clock in the morning, actually technically it was 6, 10 a.m. The Holy Spirit told me to go to California. Well, long story short, I did. I've told that before, but what some of you have not heard is maybe a little more behind the scenes of what happened two years before that. By the way, when the Holy Spirit told me at 6.10 a.m., when He told me to leave immediately and go to California, I tried to ignore it. You know why? First start came to my mind. I tried that before. It didn't work. You know why it didn't work? I was out of God's timing. So let's, let's back a little further back. Two years before that, that ever happened... Two years before that, I, I was doing a lot of praying, and I picked up on the plan of God. The vision of God, the vision of God's plan for my life began to crystallize in a way where I could, I could tell what God's plan for my wife was, my life was, excuse me, and I knew it involved California, and I knew it wasn't Central or Northern California, it was Southern California, and I, I just knew God had destiny for me in Southern California. Well, Pastor Stephen, what, what did you do when, when you begin to realize that, and the, the, the realization of that began to so, be so strong in you? I did what a lot of young, immature Christians do. I tried to move on it too soon, and it was, not in the, it was not in God's timing. This is literally what I did. I was so convinced that God had destiny for me in Southern California that on Saturday, I spent all day at the library reading books uh, because the Internet, um, I'm trying to think, the Internet really wasn't even in, in existence then. Or maybe just in the bare, barely early phases. Okay, so I'm at the library reading books all day long about Southern California. I'm reading about Orange County, California. The more I read, the more excited I got. I said, I knew this is God. I know this is God. I'm, I'm supposed to go to or it's Orange County, California. I mean, I, I, was like, I was like the radar dude. I had dialed in God's will, and I knew I was on it. I was over the target, all over it. But I was premature. Uh, by, uh, at the end of Saturday, by, after reading all those books, I was ready to go. Mm -mm -mm -mm. I mean, I read everything. I read about Venice Beach up in L.A. and uh, I, I, Orange County, everything. I was excited. The Pacific Ocean. Mm -mm -mm. And, um, and also, you ready for this? Interestingly enough, God put a desire in my heart to marry a California lady. Isn't that interesting? 
Okay, now, the next day is Saturday. I'm in my 20s. I love Jesus, and I'm ready to serve God, okay? I'm in my mid-20s, and uh, it's, it's, uh, the next, next day is Sunday. So all day Saturday, I'm reading about California. Sunday comes. I got up early in the morning. I said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to church. I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm not even going to tell my pastor. Now, look, I lived right behind my pastor. He had his house, and there was a little bitty efficiency that I rented for him. All it was was a single room with a toilet, a shower, and a place for my bed and a desk and a closet. That's all there was. And so that morning, I packed my car full of everything I had. I put all my clothes in the car. I put all of my belongings in the car. I said, I know that God is in this so much. I don't want anybody to talk me out of it. I'm not even going to tell my pastor. And I live right behind his house. I said, I'm going to go to church. And I'm going to get there early and, uh, you know, help the deacons. And then I'm going to sing in the choir like I normally do. And then I'm going to listen to the sermon. And that soon as it's over, I'm not telling anybody, I'm leaving. Yes, I'm leaving to California. Mm -hmm. And I did. I packed my car full of everything I, I had. And I drove that morning to the church. Praise God. And I kind of put some blankets over all my stuff in the car so nobody would see all this stuff in my car. Like, what's, is, is, is Stephen moving? I didn't do that. Had everything covered up. All right. As God is my witness, what I'm about to tell you is 100% true. Okay. Now, I parked my car in the parking lot. I always got there early because I knew the pastor. I, I was like his right-hand assistant. And uh, uh, a wonderful pastor, wonderful man of God. And uh, I got there early. And uh, there's only like maybe two or three cars in the parking lot. Because if the church starts, if the service starts at 10, I'm like there at, like at 8. So I got there real early. Got in the parking lot, parked my car, opened the door, got out, and started walking with my Bible towards the entrance of the church. There's two double doors, and I'm walking towards them. As I'm walking across the parking lot, those doors, the two double doors on the church, blew open with power. Uh, they got pushed open. And Sister Dorothy Walker, uh, evangelist Walker, uh, young in the Lord. She was, she was still uh, in her late 20s, but on fire. Wanting to be evangelist, working a full-time job, but just wanting to serve God and be an evangelist. <laughs> she wanted in ministry so bad. I don't know where she's at in the world today, but I would probably be almost guaranteed wherever she's at, she's in ministry full-time. Sister Dorothy Walker had pushed those doors open. Those doors exploded open, and she came walking out of those doors and walked down those steps. She said, Brother Brooks, I don't know what you're about to do. But God told me to tell you, don't do it. She said, you kept me up all night. She said, you kept me up all night praying for you. And she turned around frustrated and mad that she had to pray all night for me not to do something crazy. <laughs> and when she turned around, she was, she was kind of like mumbling. And I could, I could hear her saying, she said, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. That's what she was kind of like mumbling when she walked off. I never, I didn't even dare ask her, hey, later, uh, I didn't want, you know, because she was like that. And uh, <laughs> you ever get a little nervous when you get around some people that can read your mail? You're like, well, I don't know if I want them to read my mail, you know? So um, 
Yeah, but she and I always had great respect for each other. But this, see, now you understand why. Uh, uh, two years later, when the Lord did tell me to go to the Southern California, that I was like, oh, God, I, I tried that before. But the Holy Spirit said, go now. Go now. You must not only have the vision. You must have the timing. If you're not inquiring of the Lord, you risk stepping out or stepping in in a wrong way or a wrong time. Only God knows these things. You'll never figure it out with your head. You must inquire of the Lord. Mm. Can you imagine if I'd have showed up two years earlier? I, I, I know some things that I can't say. If I'd have shown up two years earlier, nothing would have worked. And for some of you, that's why nothing's working. You, because you're not inquiring of the Lord. And then, even if you would inquire and get the instructions, some of, some of you, bless your hearts, you're so stubborn you won't back out. Oh. Look, we've all made mistakes. I've made, my, I've made some, some really silly mistakes. <laughs> some of them are so silly, I'd be embarrassed to tell you. Mm. I remember the time, well, I'll, I'll tell you one. As I, as I hang on the cross in front of you, I remember the time I was engaged to be married, and um, the, the, whole, the whole thing was just like, uh, it wasn't of the Lord. But we're, we're excited, and it's all, it's all like a, you know, fleshly zeal, and we're all excited uh, because, you know, we're all young people. We're all in our 20s, and uh, this young lady and I, we, we decided we're going to get married and so forth. And um, there was a visiting pastor, and he, he saw me over on the side, and he, he came over and said, Stephen, I understand you're, you're engaged to be married to this, that sister over there. I said, yes. He said, he said, can I share something with you? I said, by all means. Now, he was much older, very godly man. And he said, um, he said, I just believe, son, that if you do that, you're going to make a great mistake in your life. And he said, I'm not saying anything negative about her, but I am saying I don't believe she's the one for you. And um, I think you're going to make a great mistake if you marry her because God has some things for you. And uh, you could really, uh, this could really cause some problems of God's plan for your life. So please, please pray about it. And please read this book. And he handed me a book written by a great man of God that I had no idea that one day I'm going to end up meeting this esteemed apostle of God who wrote the book. And that one day when I go to California, which is where he was at, I will meet him and he will end up becoming my spiritual father. I read the book and my eyes opened. I said, Oh my Lord, I'm walking into something that's uh, that's wrong. Well, Pastor Stephen, it's too late. Just go ahead and do it. No, no. I said, I, I said, I have to call this off. And you know what? She understood. She said, yeah, it's okay. And actually, she got married shortly thereafter to another guy in the church. <laughs> and I think, actually, it was probably one of those, you know, live happy ever after stories. But God had a totally different path and direction for me. And so it would have really have complicated that. Woo! Woo! So I backed out, and I, I stopped it. And, and called it off. I had to explain that to my parents and, you know, I had to, you know go and explain it to her most importantly and all this other stuff and get it all dissolved and stuff. And when I say dissolved, there was nothing signed or done anyhow. You know, it's just something that we'd said we do. But, you know, you're not, you're, you're working with emotions and, and things like that. So you have to be very delicate and careful. But I backed out, backed out, backed out. And it was, it's what God wanted me to do. Praise the Lord. So it's like, it's like King Hezekiah. You know, he lost money, whatever, and he lost a lot. 
It just is what it is. God will make it up. That's not the issue. God can make it up. Just do the right thing. Do the right thing. For me, it meant unpacking my car, move all that stuff back in the house, and feeling like, oh, man, I, I don't want to do anything till I, unless I know that I know. It meant backing out of some things. Praise God. But I tell you what, it sure, sure beats losing a battle and maybe losing your life like what could have happened to King uh, Amaziah. Praise the Lord. You know, I've had the Lord help me by His grace to keep me from making uh, certain blunders, sometimes big ones, sometimes small ones. I remember one time that I gave uh, a pastor my book. It was self-published at that time, and I gave it to her. And after she read it, she said, Stephen, she said, I love your book. She said, I really liked it. But she said, I wish you would have put your testimony in the front. You put it all the way in the back. She said, I wished, I wished you would have put it up front. And I thought, well, I thought to myself, see, this is, this is the, the limitations we have with our brains. I thought, well, it's, that's just, I need to be humble and put it in the back. I don't want to put it up front. People think I'm trying to draw attention to myself. So I left it in the back. And then later, I had a visitation when I was in Europe. I was in Berlin, Germany, and Jesus came to me in a vision while I was over there, and I was praying in an apartment flat, and He came there and talked with me. One of the things He said, He said, concerning the book you wrote, He said, you need to take your personal testimony and put it at the front of the book. Whoa, yes, 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 Lord, I'll do that. Yes, and I, I could care less now if somebody thinks, well, he should, he's just telling stories by himself. I, I, I don't have time to deal with people that think like that. All I want to do is obey the Lord and do the right thing. And the Lord said, put it at the front. It will help people. It will bless people. It will inspire them. And so I did. Woo, glory to God. Mm -mm -mm. So he saved me when a major publisher picked that book up, and they wanted to the, take it from self-publishing to being uh, published by, on a larger scale. I'd already done that, and it was good to go. Woo! But he's told me all kinds of things that I, I, I wouldn't have known with my just intellectual ability. Praise God. So let us inquire of the Lord, and let us walk in humility so that we can complete these assignments and stay in our lane and not just do good things, do God things. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Stay on your commission and refine it, refine it. As you can see, this is a walk with God, a walk of faith that takes ongoing information from headquarters in order to execute the counsel of God. So we must have an active prayer life, an active devotional life. Father, I pray for your people that they be quickened by your Holy Spirit to close anything that you never told them to open. That would be a distraction. That would just be out of your will, even if it's a good thing. Lest it end where it's destined to end, in a place of failure, frustration, or perhaps even worse. We ask for grace. We thank you. We thank you that you love us so much. You'll make up even for mistakes when our heart is right with you, and our walk is in order with you. We thank you, Father God, that... Even some of the great generals have had errors, uh, uh, areas where they, they drifted. And uh, even King Amaziah, Lord, he had to make a correction. We just thank you that you love us enough to teach us, to lead us, to help us. 
And we thank you, Father God. We receive your help, and we need your help. Thank you. Let revelation flow in Jesus' great name. We pray, and we all say, Amen. Praise the Lord, and Amen. If you're watching today, and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, don't think that you can maybe wait two years or three years or, or maybe right before you'll die, you'll say, I'll get my life right with God now. No. No, you have to do it when God's grace is manifested, when His anointing is flowing. And if you've never asked Christ into your heart, don't wait another hour. Do it right now. Get your life right with God right now. Because when the curtain drops, you, you cannot, you don't have a, you cannot walk it back. You're out of time. Do it right now. Lest the anointing lift. Do it right now. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Wash my sins away. I give you my life completely. Jesus, write my name in your book of life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And Jesus, this day, lead me and guide me in the way I should go. Thank you for saving me. Jesus, in your name I pray. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Woo, you made it. You're in. And the Lord's going to help you. Keep walking with Him. Keep walking with Him. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Glory. Glory to God. I believe this message from the Council of the Word of God today, I believe this message is going to save somebody from going to prison. It's going to save somebody from going to prison because something's being done. If it's not shut down and walk and walk back and out of, uh, there's somebody, there's about, there's at least two or three people that I'm speaking to, two or three people. Okay. So those of you that, that bore witness, you know what to do. Praise God. Obey, be a hearer and doer of the word of God. Now let's take Holy Communion today. As we do so, let's be mindful of the, what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1. I'd like to read that. 1 John 1, and we have verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Please grab some unleavened bread and some grape juice, and let's pray. Father, thank You for the bread and the juice. We bless it through this prayer, and we set it apart as holy. We thank you that this is now the body, the flesh, and the blood of Christ our Savior. And Father, we give you praise. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Father, as we receive the blood, excuse me, the, the flesh of the Lord Jesus, we thank you for strength, like King Amaziah, to do the right thing. We give you praise, Father God. And Father, I know that there's many that are watching. They are right on target. They don't need to walk anything back. They just need to stay on task and keep moving with you. But there's others that have entered into things with uncertainty or out. Uh, they, they've just got, they've made a wrong turn. Lord, we thank you. This is, your, this is our opportunity to receive grace and to make the adjustment. 
And Father, we just thank you for helping us. Even as you told Amaziah, you'll make it all up. It's no big deal. Let it go. Father, we thank you so much for that perspective. And we will receive the body of Jesus now. In his name, amen. Let's receive. Praise God. I'm hearing in my spirit, there's somebody you've made an investment and you feel really good about it and you put a lot into it, but you did not inquire of the Lord or you did not inquire to a degree where you actually got God's perspective on it. And I'm hearing in my spirit that if you don't pull out of that and backtrack that and get your money out of that, you could be facing a great loss. Now, I'm speaking to many people, and I'm sure there's many people that have investments. I'm only speaking on this one to one person. There's only one, this is only for one person who's out there. So whoever that is, I know that you know I'm speaking to you. Praise God. Immediately go back into prayer and ask the Lord what he says about that. Lord, is that me? And for the one that it is, you know what to do. Praise God. Even if you lose some, because, you know, there's transaction fees and stuff like that. Hey, sure beats losing everything. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. The one that has done this also, it's something that's very risky. And let me say this. There are no shortcuts to success. I don't play penny stocks. I don't do stuff like that. You, uh, th there's a lot of things out there that are just even designed to almost like take people's money out of their pockets. And uh, I, I don't do crazy dealings. And my business is preaching the gospel. So that my investment is in the souls and, and in the, this. Praise the Lord. But somebody, you've done something very risky, high, super high risk. And it's not going to end well. Please heed this word from the Lord. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for cleansing from all sin, from all unrighteousness. We thank you so much that you love us so much that you extend so much help to us through your word, through your spirit, through others that would speak. Thank you, O Lord. You even tried to help uh, the crazed prophet who, who a donkey was trying, even working through a donkey to try to help the crazy prophet. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God, you, you tried to help us so much. You give us so many opportunities to do the right thing. We thank you, Father God, that I, that I sense right now that this message is also for, for some. You have to make the correction quickly or else um, that, that window closes, and then you may not be able to back out. So, Father, we give you praise. See, once Paul got in Jerusalem, got all tangled up in that crowd, and now the next thing you know, a riot is breaking out. It's too late now to say, you know, I probably shouldn't have come here. It's too late. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We give you praise. We thank you for your blessing and your divine guidance. We give you praise for your reproofs. We give you praise for your corrections. We thank you, Father God, for the fourfold nature of your word. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Let's receive. My friends, let me close by saying there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no shame. There's no condemnation. We are human. That's why we must lean on the Lord and trust him and walk very close with him so that we stay in our lane. My friends, thank you for watching. May the Lord bless you. I'll see you back next time. Bye-bye.